Well, what an exciting day. It is our sixth anniversary as a church. I'm so thankful that you're here. I know that uh, some of you are maybe from partner churches, uh, friends churches in the area. So thank you for being here to celebrate Baptism Sunday. For some of you, you might have come as a guest of a friend. Uh, I, I hope that you feel welcome and that you're encouraged by our time together. And uh, for some of you, you've, you've been at the Oaks for almost all of the six years that we've been meeting together. And so this is really a day uh, not, to, not to focus on um, a church or any, any person other than Jesus. And so we give him the glory for all that we will celebrate today. You know, Abby and I, we were talking earlier this week, and, uh, and we were thinking just about the past six years, and we were, you know, praising God, we were reminiscing, uh, and, and we were thinking, man, what, like, what was, what was God doing whenever uh, he, he put this, you know, desire for us as two 25-year-olds to move to Cincinnati after seminary and say, you know, let's let's begin meeting in our living room and then, you know, a theater in Oakley and just see what God would do. And over the past six years, we have seen the Lord do so much, uh, bringing the Funchesses early in the process, uh, bringing so many of you, taking the ways that God has equipped and gifted you to be a part of this church family. And uh, this, this story is so much bigger than any single one of us. And it is ultimately about God's mission uh, to reach Cincinnati and the world and using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And so we're going to get to talk about that a little bit more today. I just wanted to celebrate some of the things that have taken place uh, in the last year, in the last six years. Uh, so as you know, each anniversary, we kind of do a countdown. So here, here we'll begin with this number, 36,000. So 36,000 uh, is the amount of money that we gave last year to international missions efforts to, to see the gospel go forward throughout the world. 4,700 is the copies of the gospel that we have put in people's hands in our city. Uh, that's through conversations, that's through events that we've hosted here, 4,700 copies of the gospel of Luke or the gospel of John or some explanation of the gospel given. 1,412 is the amount of songs that we have sung together. And in over four different places, right? From, from 20th Century Theater to John P. Parker to Christ the King to now here in the rec center and soon in the OCB, the Oaks Church building. Uh, 321 people worshiped with us last week for Easter. That's, that's an exciting number because so many of those people were your friends and family members that you desire to have a knowledge of Christ and to grow deeper in their relationship with the Lord if they already have one. Uh, here's, here's a phone number. 315 sermons preached. Think about how many hours that that has been for you guys. But man, you're, you just, you keep coming back. It's great. Uh, 193 current church members. This is an exciting one. 65 people have been baptized in the past six years. There's 65 people proclaiming the Lord as their savior. Yes. And after today, after today, that number will be 78. Uh, 20 CMC leaders, that's our missional community groups, 20 C, uh, 27 MC leaders and co-leaders, uh, 26 community events that we've hosted, 19 weddings that have happened at the Oaks, uh, four churches that have been planted by support from the Oaks, and one mission since day one, uh, that we exist to glorify God and make disciples by bringing restoration through the gospel to Cincinnati and the world. That is why God has placed us here, and that is why you are a part of what God is doing, not only within these walls, but in the world around us. 
Now, with that being said, I want you to go ahead and find Titus 1, and we're going to briefly look at Titus 1, and then we're going to jump over into Acts 9. Uh, now, if you're doing the math and you're thinking 13 baptisms, everyone shares their story, Terry Lee normally is long-winded, then you know I'm racing against the clock right now, all right? So join me as we sprint through, uh, just briefly looking kind of at a new book uh, as we begin the the series in Titus, but honestly, more looking at the author of this book. So we'll quickly jump into Acts 9. Now, let me ask, how do you introduce yourself? Uh, Whenever you're saying, hi, my name is Terry Lee. Now, people make fun of me because for the past six years, I've introduced myself the exact same way every time I get on stage, right? Hi, my name is Terry Lee. You know, uh, whether you are new here, you call the Oaks Church home, if we haven't met yet, like people are like, I know what you're going to say the first 30 seconds. And guess what, guys? I still get nervous. So I say the same thing every single time. But you have a way that you introduce yourself. Uh, Maybe you introduce yourself kind of with your occupation or your hometown. Uh, Maybe it's in relation to another person. So, you know, uh, whenever I go to my son's preschool, I say, hey, I'm I'm Terry Lee, I'm Brooks's dad. Uh, We all have a way that we introduce ourselves. Uh, Some people introduce themselves with their Enneagram number or maybe their Myers-Briggs type. Like if if that's you, like go for it, own it. Um, Some people... Some people, they, they begin, maybe not even by introducing themselves by, by, by saying it, but, but whenever they think about who they are, maybe it's associated to something they're proud of, right? So I have this degree or there's this title associated with my name. Other people, whenever they think about who they are, maybe it's from, from some past experience that they wish that they could forget. You see, each one of us kind of have this, you know, understanding of who we are that's tied to something about us, but, but here's the question. What if the most important thing about who you are has not to do with maybe your description of yourself, but who you are in relation to God? You see, because that, whenever we begin this letter of Titus, what we're going to discover that the most important thing about the apostle Paul is who he is in relationship to God. And I want to make the case that the same is true for each and every one of us. So if you were to summarize this sermon in a sentence, it would be this, that we are saved to serve God as members of his family and missionaries to the world. It's my desire that that whatever else you have accomplished or the hometown that you grew up in or whatever other titles are associated with your name or whatever you might want to forget that people have said about you, you would say, well, for me, I'm, man, I've been saved by God. Saved from what? Saved from my sin. Saved from my self-destruction. Saved from my despair. Saved from an eternity, eternity separated from God. Saved with great purpose to serve God. Why? Because I'm a member of his family. I know God as father. We, we planned that so that the balloons would pop during mid-sermon. <laughs> that, that I would know God as father because I'm a part of his family. And that I would be sent as a missionary to the world. Whatever God has uh, made me good at, gifted at, that I would use that, leverage that so that other people would know how good God is. Uh, now, with that being said, we are going to briefly look at the letter of Titus because we're going to, you know, really dive into it over the next seven or eight weeks. Now, Titus is unique because Titus was a companion of the Apostle Paul. We see that, you know, Paul put Titus in all kinds of situations where he was called to, like, bring order and uh, restoration. And so, he does that several times. Well, 
Paul and Titus did some missionary work on this island called Crete. Uh, There were other Christians there that were present on the day of Pentecost. And so all of this taking place uh, meant that churches began popping up all throughout this region of Crete. And Paul then goes on, continues his missionary journey, but he writes this letter to Titus to say, hey, this is awesome. God's doing amazing work here. But there, there needs to be some order here. There, there needs to be some structure to, to everything that has taken place. The, the take that we have whenever we look at the book of Titus together over the next couple months will be the, the, the vine of, of, of God's mission is growing. The people of God are growing. But there's a trellis that supports it. If you're familiar with gardening, you know how that works. You create kind of this wooden trellis, looks like lattice, so that as a, as a plant is growing, as flowers are blooming, as uh, whatever vegetation you've put at the pot underneath the trellis, as it is growing and flourishing, that it's given structure to uphold it, to shape it, so that it becomes what it was designed to be. Well, in the same way, whenever we look at the book of Titus, the message of Titus is God has planted the gospel in you. He is growing you not only as an individual, but as a church body. And in the way that God has designed us to grow is through things like healthy leadership. Maybe God is calling you to be a leader uh, through relationships with one another where, where you are served and you seek the opportunity to serve others. Whenever we get to chapter three, we're going to learn all of these different ways that Christians are called to live in the world around us so that other people would know the love of God that we have received and so that we can share it with the world around us. And so in this small book that we will study verse by verse, we're going to see so much about the character of God and who he is. Now, with that being said, as just kind of a little preview. Let's look at Titus 1, 1 through 4. Oh, guys, I'm going to have to speed up so much. You know it's true. Okay. All right. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior." Now, let's just look at the first line. How does Paul introduce himself as a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ? Now, here's what you need to know. While Paul is introducing himself in that way here, that's not always what he would have said about himself. Now, actually, there was a time before he was a follower of Jesus in which he opposed those who followed Christ to the point of seeking their imprisonment and even their murder. And what we find in the story of Paul is an ordinary man who comes in contact with God's extraordinary grace. And so to fully see this story, I want you to flip to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 18. Uh, We want to see the, the grace of God on display in the life of Paul in Acts 9, 1 through 18. Now, Paul was the name that he used to the Gentiles. Uh, His name was Saul that came from the Hebrew king Saul. And so, 
you've probably heard it said that he had such a dramatic life change that he changed his name. Um, perhaps that case could be made, but we actually see even in Acts 13 that it says he was named Saul, but he was also Paul. And uh, I think that's probably the best way to understand that whenever he began doing ministry to those who were not of a Hebrew background, that he began to use the name Paul uh, to be more contextual, to be all things to all people, as he says. Um, now, let's read Acts 9, verses 1 through 18. We read this, but, st- but Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Now, this, is, this has Romans 5, 8 kind of built into it, right? He will say this later, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what do we read? Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, why were Christians called people of the way? Well, because Jesus in John 14, 6 said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. So early Christians said, we are followers of the way who is Christ. Verse 3, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Christ is the light of the world. Here a light shines around Paul. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. In that simple statement, we see so much of Paul's theology about the church. Because who's actually being persecuted? Believers are being persecuted. And yet, what does Jesus say? The resurrected Lord, when he appears to Paul, he says, why are you persecuting me? We see this unity of Christ in the presence of his people. Verse 6, he says, But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. So Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. That's what happened on Damascus Road. Right? He's still breathing threats. He's trying to seek that Christians would be murdered. And God showed up. Jesus appeared to him on that road to change him forever. Verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now, here's something interesting. The Hebrew word Hananiah means, uh, it literally means saved or the Lord is gracious. All right, so here there is this man whose name has the root of the Lord is gracious in it, and he's going to be the first person that Saul or Paul speaks to whenever he comes into the city. There's this disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. They didn't get very creative with street names back then, so he said, go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But listen to Ananias. He answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, how would you feel if you were Ananias? But here we see immediate obedience in verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, feel the weight of that. That guy's trying to kill my friends. He's trying to kill me. 
wait, he's been changed by the power of the gospel? Okay, let me go to him. Let me lay my hand on him, the man who was once formerly my enemy and opponent, and I will call him brother Saul. And the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with his Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Now let's stop right there. This is an ordinary story about God's extraordinary grace. Right, we look at the, the conversion of Saul or Paul and we think, wow, this is like, man, I, I wish my story was like that. But what I want you to see is that every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord has a story like that. Because what makes this extraordinary is not the person that is converted, but the person of Christ who is gracious to those who are dead in their sin. Here we see that the extraordinary part about our stories is just how gracious our God is. And the first thing that I want you to see from this passage is that Jesus sought Paul while he was still dead in his sin. Uh, Paul was, was still dead in his sin when he was sought out by Christ. Uh, he was a persecutor of the church. He was also a self-righteous Pharisee. In Philippians 3, 4 through 6, he talks about just how, how well he followed the Jewish law. And in a way, he used this to think that he didn't need a savior like Christ. Talking about his testimony in Philippians 3, he says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says, compare my life against the 613 laws of the Old Testament. And in that way, I am blameless. You see, this, this kept him dead in his sin, unable to see his need for a savior. But in that moment on the road to Damascus, he was humbled and he realized that he needed Christ. And what he thought was righteousness was only self-righteousness and it deceived him. Could you be there this morning? I think we're all like that. We all have a tendency to have this inner lawyer in our hearts who says, no, you're good. Look at how well you manage your time. Look at how financially responsible you are. Look at how good of a friend or husband or mother you are. You don't, I mean, look at how morally upright you are. Surely someone like you doesn't need saving. But Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all dead in our sin apart from Christ. But praise God for the truth of Acts 9, that there is no one too far for the reach of God's hand, that he can find you in the muck and the mud and pull you out and cleanse you by his grace. Which is the second thing that I want you to see is that Jesus saved Paul by his grace, not his good works. Jesus saved Paul by his grace. He didn't say, hey, here's the list of all the things that you've got to do and then you'll be right with me. No, he says, I have chosen you that you would be my voice to the Gentiles. You weren't, you weren't looking for me. I found you. Whenever Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 10, he recounts the situation. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared in his resurrection, that Christ appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That means some of them have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And now he's talking about himself in verse eight. He says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. 
For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. He looks to the cross and he says, Jesus died for my sins, every last one of them. And he takes great hope in knowing that Christ was resurrected and appeared to him on the road to Damascus to save him. He says, it is only by the grace of God that I am what I am. It is the grace of God that saves us. It is the grace of God that sustains us. And it is the grace of God that sanctifies us and helps us to continue to grow in our walk with the Lord. John Newton, the author, famously known for writing the song Amazing Grace, repented of a life of of slave trading, repented of this dark and dreadful life and, and wrote these words. He says, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world, but still I'm not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's the story of the Christian life. That's the story you'll hear repeated again and again today. Third and finally, Paul's relationship with Jesus reoriented his life. He received physical sight at the moment that Ananias prayed for him. But we know that truly the eyes of his heart were opened for the very first time. And this wasn't just kind of an intellectual assent, okay, I know who Jesus is. No, this was something that was reflected in his entire life. He was given a new heart. We see that in verse 17, whenever he is filled with the Holy Spirit, the heart of stone was removed and now his affections change, his desires change, what he believes and values, everything is reoriented by the truth of the gospel in his walk with Christ. He is baptized in verse 18 to publicly declare his relationship with Christ. That's the pattern in the New Testament that someone makes a personal decision to follow Christ as their eyes are opened and they publicly declare their faith in him through baptism. And verse 15 shows that he was chosen by God to carry this message of salvation to the world. Now let me ask, have you had this kind of experience? Are the testimonies that will be read and shared today reflective of what God has done in your life? Could you see yourself as someone who was once dead in your sin and saved by God's grace? No work of your own, but completely by Christ's redemption. And now everything about your life has been reoriented. What we will soon find out is that the story of Paul then led him to go and share the gospel in a place called Crete. And then he's going to share the gospel in Crete. And as lives are changed, people are developed, they grow, they're conformed to the image of Christ and everything about their lives are changed. But one of the things that constantly marked Paul's life was telling the story of salvation. So much so that in Acts 26, he would have the opportunity to tell the story of his salvation to King Agrippa. He goes through the whole thing. He talks about the road to Damascus. He talks about how he couldn't see. He talks about how he fasted for three days. He tells the story of Ananias. Ananias. And then he says, in every single one of those Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah who would come, Christ fulfilled those prophecies. And he has brought salvation even to you. And King Agrippa says in Acts 26, In a short time, Paul, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. That's the heart of every single person that will tell the story of God's redemption today. 
that you would become as they are if you're not already. As you hear these stories, if you are a Christian, may you rejoice with your brothers and sisters in Christ and may you reflect on how God saved you in the past. May you find great comfort in the fact that if God saved you when you were dead in your sin, that he will sustain you no matter what this week might hold. That, that the only prerequisite to be able to share this good news is to have received it yourself. And it is available to anyone who believes. We'll get more into this over the coming weeks, but let's leave with this thought. May we introduce ourselves in a way that shows that our lives are not ultimately about who we are, but who God is. Let's pray.